You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. on to 16 and 17 and he connects them with the word and so it's a continual thought if you love me keep my commandments and look at 16 and 17 and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind us that obeying God shouldn't be an obligation. There will be times that you need to practice discipline and say no when your flesh draws you to sin. But even then, it should be out of love and gratitude for God's grace, which is the only thing that saves you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 14 as he begins his message, Orphans No More. John 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus is still speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So when you read through the scriptures about the early church, the disciples and all those who basically began the church of Christ, we often make a mistake. We begin to think that they were some sort of superhuman. You know, we go to these various houses of worship and we see these glorious stained glass windows and the apostles are depicted there and all these people, they have halos around their heads and they're all glorious in the sunlight. And we kind of think somehow, wow, these guys are incredible. These guys are saints. They're, whoa, they're so much different. But as you read through the scriptures, as you go through the book of John, the book of Luke, Mark, Matthew, as you go through Acts and even the epistles, you come to find out and realize one thing. These guys aren't much different than us. These people are not much different than us. Who are they? They are ordinary people. Ordinary men and women, same weaknesses, same shortcomings, same fears, problems that we all experience. The truth Well, the matter is, they are just like you and I, just like us. So what's the difference? What made them so powerful? What made them so outgoing? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. The first one being they were with Jesus bodily and physically. They were with the risen Savior. They spent three years with him. Think about those three years. Did you ever think about sitting around the campfire with them? I wonder what they heard when Jesus spoke. 
I wonder what they saw when they looked into his eyes and gazed upon him as he would teach them. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, he represented the Father perfectly. In fact, we remember a few weeks ago we studied when he answered Philip and said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the Word made flesh that came and dwelt among us. The disciples didn't understand this at first. They didn't grasp this knowledge. But over time, they began to realize some things. They began to realize when they were taking a walk down the lane with Jesus, they were actually taking a stroll with God. They realized that when they laid their hand upon Jesus' shoulder, they were touching God. They recognized that when Jesus talked to them, these were God's words coming towards them. They understood when they saw Jesus' compassion for the sick. They understood the heart of God that wanted to right every wrong. When Jesus fashioned a whip and started driving out the money changers, they saw a God of determination who wanted to make the place of worship pure, who wanted to keep it holy. And when they saw Jesus weeping over Jerusalem that day, when they saw Jesus crying, real tears running down his face as he looked over Jerusalem, knowing that they've missed their opportunity to salvation, that God had presented them with the perfect gift of salvation because they missed that, Jesus cried. And when they saw that, they saw God's heart breaking. God's heart breaking. And during those three and a half years, they never had to worry about a thing. They had to worry about nothing. Jesus fed them constantly. In fact, he fed thousands. He never allowed their boat to sink. And he always knew the best places to catch fish, didn't he? Yeah. He even helped pay their taxes. They lacked for nothing. He taught them daily, giving them example after example after example of his own life. He improbed their minds with parables. He amazed them with miracles. He taught them constantly about the kingdom of God. He prayed for them. He prayed with them. He gave them commandments to follow. Commandments that seem so hard for us. He said, love one another as I have loved you. He sent them out, giving them power to heal the sick and cast out demons. Day in, day out, these men relied upon Jesus to provide for their every need. So you can imagine what was going through their minds when Jesus said, guys, I'm leaving and you can't come right now, but I'll be back. They didn't understand what he meant by that. All they heard was that he was leaving and their hearts were filled with fear. Their hearts were filled with turmoil and they were greatly disturbed. What would they do? What would become of them? What was their lot in life? What were they supposed to do? Would they be like orphans and wander aimlessly through the countryside? And this is exactly what they were afraid of. They were afraid that they would have a fate like an orphan. They were afraid that they would be left on their own. And they couldn't bear the thought of him leaving them. But he had been preparing them for his departure for a long, long time. Every time Jesus brought up the cross, what did they do? They changed the subject. They didn't want to hear about it. They thought to themselves, what 
will we do without him? They've originally named this message the Comforter because we're going to speak about the Holy Spirit. But I changed the message to orphans no more simply because we're no longer orphans if we've accepted Christ because God is our Father and he has adopted us. And we have this relationship with him that, that can beat any other earthly relationship we would ever have. This wonderful relationship with a God who loved us so dearly, so desperately, that he gave his own son to die. So we might fellowship with him. He demonstrated his love for us. We're no longer orphans. We've been adopted by the one true living God. We've become part of his family. So throughout chapter 14 that we've been studying now for a while... Jesus has been trying to quell the fears of his disciples, the 11 who are left in the room. He's trying to quell their fears. He knows that in a very short time, several hours in fact, all of them except one will either deny him or head for the hills. They'll all run. He sees the panic in their eyes. He knows what they're experiencing. So as we come to this point in the Gospel of John, we are at a most pivotal point. As I said, you ain't seen nothing yet because the Gospel of John just starts to go uphill. It just ramps up to a fever pitch as Jesus speaks. If you look at chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're all red because Jesus is speaking. He has so much to say. And dare we take a chance to Rip through it fast. We can't. We cannot. We're at a pivotal point. So as we start in 15, Jesus is still answering Philip. Show us the Father. And he's still answering Philip, but he's talking to him all now. As he now comes out, he's not really talking to Philip per se. He's talking to them all as you look at the verbiage here. He says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's interesting here that the emphasis now is on loving each other and faith in Jesus Christ. This would be a demonstration of our obedience to him by the way we love one another. Remember Jesus gave him a command way back in John 13. He said, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another the way I have loved you. So how do we know we love Jesus? He's given us the cure here. How do we know we love Jesus? Well, we know it by keeping his commandments, by loving one another, by showing that love one to another. But some of us can't get over that. Some of us seem to have a problem with that. And Jesus addresses that in Luke, uh, in Luke uh, 6, 46, when he says, but you call me Lord, Lord, but why don't you do what I say? Here he's warning them. He's warning the people to be careful calling me Lord, Lord, and then not doing the things I command. He's saying, your mind is elsewhere. Your believing is messed up. You're looking at the words and you're trying to fulfill some sort of religious duty. That's not what it's about. It's about true love. It's about things of the heart, things of the soul, things of the spirit, not just words and passing thoughts. You need to get right. Listen to what David Guzik says about this. Quote, for the believer, disobedience is not only a failure of performance and a failure of strength. In most cases, it's also a failure of love. Those who love God must obey him most joyfully and naturally. To say, 
I really love Jesus, I just don't want him to tell me how to live my life, is a terrible understanding of both what love is and Jesus Christ. Our obedience to Jesus Christ should be done out of one thing and one thing only, love. That's what our obedience to Christ is, out of love. So I show my love to him by loving you. I show my love for Jesus Christ by loving you all. Yes, I love him. And he has told me to love you. And for that reason, I love you. Because that's what he commanded. But I'm very, very fortunate here. Because all of you are so loving. You are really, really loving. And, and you're really kind. And you're really downhearted. So it's easy for me to love you. So Jesus is saying, your obedience to me will show that you love me. So as we are obedient to Jesus Christ and his commands, it proves our love for him. That's what he's trying to say here. And then he moves on to 16 and 17, and he connects them with the word and. So it's a continual thought. If you love me, keep my commandments. And look at 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Because you are keeping my commandments, Jesus says, because you are truly mine by demonstrating keeping my commandments, I'm going to pray the Father and he will send you another helper. He will send you the spirit of truth. He will send this one to you. It's really interesting. We're going to talk about a lot about Greek words today. A lot of Greek words that we have to look at. The first two, or excuse me, the first one, is the word for helper in the New King James. It's called comforter in the original King James. It's the same word, Greek word, parakletos. Parakletos, all right? It means one who comes alongside to help. One who comes alongside to comfort you, to help you in your time of need. He says, I'm going to send you another, another helper. And here we have the word allos, Greek word allos. It means one exactly the same. Now, there's a different Greek word for another that means one different, but this means exactly the same. So you got, it's key that you listen to that. So what is Jesus telling these guys? He said, hey, guys, I got to go. Yeah, I'm leaving. And you can't come right now. But don't fret. Don't get worried, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm not going to leave you without help. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will send you a helper. He will send you a comforter. My Father will send you another one just like me. And guess what, guys? He'll be with you forever. What a great prompt. What a glorious promise we have of the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful, wonderful promise. What's his name? The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit. Here we see this beautiful promise that Jesus is making to them. If you love me, keep my commandments. And as you're obeying me, I'm going to send the Father and the Holy Spirit. And guess what, guys? Holy Spirit's going to help you keep those commandments. Holy Spirit's going to help you love others. Holy Spirit's going to help you and guide you into that love to others. So as we go through the Gospel of John, John is going to make this real clear who this comforter is because he tells us in John 14, 26... But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Comforter is the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, 26, excuse me, in chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Comforter is to come, 
I will send few from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. Also, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is necessary that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. You see what's being set up here? I don't know if you've grasped this, so I'm going to try to explain this a little bit to you. You see what's being, what's being said here? In all these verses are focusing on the triunity of God. All these verses are focusing on the Trinity. Focusing on the Trinity, the nature of the Godhead. Jesus praying to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus promising to send the Holy Spirit through the Father. All these verses point to the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one. It's very important that you grasp this when people tell you that the Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Here it is, right here. It's right here for us to look at. So Jesus is preparing these guys. He's encouraging them to be ready for what? For a new way in which they will relate to God from now on. It will be foreign, but it won't be really new because it's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is replacing himself with the person who has all the same qualities that he has. I wrote this. Jesus is replacing himself with him. But what? Jesus is replacing himself with him. Jesus the Son is going back to the Father. Jesus, God the Son. The Holy Spirit, God, is coming down to live in us. He's replacing himself. They're one. You're thinking, I don't understand. God never asked you to understand. He asked you to believe and have faith. The trust. The trust. So we have to look at the first question we might have. What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He's the one that comes alongside us. He's the one that comes alongside us. And this is exactly what the disciples need right now. The disciples need comfort. They need peace because their master is leaving and they're upset. They need this peace that surpasses all understanding. They need their hearts and minds guarded because Christ is leaving them bodily. And yes, Jesus said the Holy Spirit comes and he teaches us all things. He, he brings to remembrance the words of Jesus Christ. Case in point, have you ever been witnessing to someone and you're talking to someone and all of a sudden out of your mouth proceeds in a scripture that you never memorized that seems to be obscure? And after it's done, you go, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit giving you his words, giving you God's word, because he knows just what that person needs to hear at that time. And so the Spirit comes out and speaks for you. He gives you the words of Christ. So that's what happens. The Holy Spirit always, and repeat it, the Holy Spirit always testifies of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never points to himself, always to Jesus. Always. That's important to remember that. What does the Holy Spirit do in the world today? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides us into the truth and he shows us all things. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He shows us the things of the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit gives us power. Acts 1 verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea. You know the scripture, we'll read it again in a minute. The Greek word for power, dunamis. Dunamis, the same word that we get dynamite from. So Jesus, this Holy Spirit, gives us this dynamic power. This dynamic power to do what? 
to live the Christian life as it's supposed to be lived, to resist temptation, to, to be a witness for Jesus Christ to others. This Deuteronomist dynamic power, which is what the Holy Spirit does. And in these same verses, Jesus is talking about two different relationships with the Holy Spirit. Look at 17b. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And here we have two relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. Again, Greek words. You have to, this is very important. He uses two prepositions. The first one, the Holy Spirit will be with you. He uses the Greek word para, P-A-R-A, meaning with. The Holy Spirit is with us. He convicts us of sin. He testifies that Jesus took our sin upon him on the cross, and he leads us to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is with the world today, as we said, convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is always with you, convicting you. When you do something and you get convicted, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's with you. This is the first relationship. The second relationship says, and he will be in you. This is a different relationship. A different, but it's number two. It's a second experience. When you've accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, when you become born again into a living hope, the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's scriptural. The Holy Spirit comes into you. It's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He comes in you. Jesus just said that. The word in Greek is en, E-N, in you. A couple scriptures that help us clarify this. In Corinthians specifically, in Corinthians 3, in verse 16 Paul writes, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's talking, about, talking to the Corinthian believers. And then again in chapter 6, in verse 19, he says something very similar. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you have from God, you are not of your own. And finally, over in Romans, in chapter 8 of Romans, in verse 9 of chapter 8 of Romans, we see this. Paul writes again, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is in us. So we have two relationships with the Holy Spirit. The para or the with, and the in or the in. We have that. But, at Calvary Chapel, those of you who have been around long enough know that we believe in a third relationship with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the third relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, the Greek word. Go back to Acts 1. When we go back to Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus, talking to the disciples, says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is called the epi, E-P-I, upon this is a separate experience. Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people call it just being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't matter as long as you've experienced this thing, as long as you've experienced this relationship. You are a Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.